Okay, so we're talking about miracles this month. And, uh, you know, I mentioned that, 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 that I'm aware that there are some churches, and I've never been part of one, but some churches that, that, that believe that miracles no longer exist. That they were for a time, and that time is now over. And um, it's interesting, you know, I grew up in a Catholic church. Catholics love miracles. They're all about miracles. They love good miracles. So I grew up in a church that was all about miracles. Um, I transitioned to, a, to Riverview Church over in Burswood, and we were a church. I was there for over a decade. We were a church that did, and they do, believe in miracles, that God, when he says, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, that he meant that when he says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you, that, that those who believe will perform even greater miracles than Jesus. Wow, exactly. Incredibly powerful stuff. You know, and we actually, interestingly, it's funny to, that, to hear that some churches don't believe in miracles because we actually live in a culture that loves a good miracle. Have, you, have you, any of you um, reprogrammed your digital TVs in the last four to eight weeks? You know, you have to reprogram because some of the, 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 the channels have shifted. You will have got some new uh, channels. One of them is TV for me. And TV for me is, it's, it's, there's, there's, um, there's no Christian um, stations on the new digital channels, but, but TV for me is the miracle station. It's all about miracles because they are selling you stuff that can do more than anything that you could have ever imagined. Cookware that will never stick no matter what, you know, won't rust or scratch no matter what you do to it. They sell you they they sell you miracle uh, pills that say you can go to Sizzler for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and just go home and drink a lemon detox diet and pop a pill and you'll be five kilos lighter the next day. It's a miracle, and you just you know for the low low price over three installments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we get, the, we get the seminars, you know, come to this one night seminar and in two hours, despite the fact that you've spent a lifetime screwing up your finances, in two hours, you will come out of there a millionaire like this kind of, you know, conveyor belt. And we love it. We, we, we want these to be true. We want these miracles to be true. And we live in this culture and we live in this society that loves miracles and, and you know, some of you are like me, and you watch TV for me with, a, with a, an edge of cynicism whilst holding the remote control. And I, I don't always fast forward to the next channel because I'm still too busy sitting there going, you must think I'm an absolute moron. I want to share a story with you this morning and unpack it about a guy who, who not only did he not get an instant miracle, he tried to position himself for a miracle, and he had to wait 38 years before he got his miracle. And let's pick up the story. Soon after, another feast came around, and Jesus was back in Jerusalem. Near the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there was a pool. And in Hebrew, the pool is called Bethesda, with five alcoves. Hundreds of sick people, blind crippled and paralyzed were in these alcoves one man had been an invalid there for 38 years now here's the story there's this pool called bethesda and hundreds of of blind 
crippled and paralyzed people were gathered there. And the reason they were gathered there beside this pool is that an urban legend was, was perpetuated that, that periodically an angel would swoop down, would tap the water and, and cause some, some ripples to go out in the pool. And the first person in the water would get healed. Of all the hundreds of people around, if you were the first in the water, once the angel had, had, had caused the ripples to go out, you would get healed. So this is where we're at. Jesus has just come down, for whatever reason, to this pool and uh, discovered a man there who was paralyzed, who'd been there and waiting there for 38 years to be healed of his paralysis. Now, I don't know what it's like to be crippled, to, to, to live with a physical handicap. I'm very blessed to, to physically have pretty much everything working properly uh, on a good day. Uh, but I grew up, my mother, who, who now is in her late 70s, when she was five, she contracted uh, polio. Uh, just before the whole vaccination thing kicked in, for some of you, you, you may remember that. And um, she spent the next two years in hospital. And it wasn't a very glamorous time for her. In fact, her teeth fell out because they didn't brush her teeth for her for those two years when she was in hospital. And from that time, at the age of five, my mother has had uh, anything from a, from a pronounced limp to, to, a, to a laundry list of medical complications. My mother, uh, when she got out of hospital, you know, she had, she had the brace on and everything. And uh, she went to to the local tennis club to sign up for some tennis lessons and to start playing tennis. And kids, who unfortunately can be very, very cruel, decided they wanted to start picking on my mother and calling her names. Now, I don't think they realized that my mother had six older brothers. And and to do this was a suicide mission. But, uh, you know, so so I don't know what it's personally like to have a long-term handicap, but I've grown up... Uh, with someone who does. And 38 years is a long time to be waiting for your healing miracle or any miracle. But what we need to understand is it's not just my mom. You know, if you see my mom, you'd realize that she's got a little bit of a handicap. She has got a limp. Some days she has to use a a stick to get around. Sometimes if she's having a bad day, she has to use a frame to get around. And and some days if if my dad's taking her to the mall, uh, he might uh, use a wheelchair to push her around to to save her. So it's very obvious that my mother has some form of handicap. The reality is that we all have some form of handicap. Every single one of us have got some form of handicap. It's just that yours isn't as obvious as my mom's. Well, at least not to you. Or we spend a lot of time and effort trying to hide our handicap. But we've all got a handicap. And I think, uh, you know, my mum gets the best parking spots. Well, so do I because they have the Vespa motorcycle ones next to the handicapped ones. So me and my mum park side by side. <laughs> I, think we all, I think we all should have the blue, the blue signs hanging around our neck because we've all got some sort of handicap. We've all, got, we've, all, we've all got a disability in some arena of our life. My question to you this morning is, what's yours? If you don't know, ask someone near. They, they'll, they'll know. Ask your husband or your wife, they'll be able to tell you. Are you blind? Is that your handicap? You know, God's created gifts in you, wants you to serve him, but you're blind to the opportunities.
and you're not using your life in the way that God intended? Is there sin in your life and you can't see how it's eroding people around you, those that you actually love? Are you crippled? Some of you have been abused growing up physically, sexually, emotionally, and it's left you walking with a limp, crippled to some extent. Maybe you've been cheated on. Or maybe you, you're crippled by a broken heart because of a failed relationship or, or an estranged parent or child. Maybe some of you are like this man sitting by the pool in Bethesda. You're paralyzed. Your life hasn't turned out the way you thought it was going to turn out. And your hopes and dreams have been shattered to the point where you no, no longer even have hopes and dreams. And uh, when you hear stories about helping people get out of poverty and rescuing kids who might otherwise die, you are numb. Not, nothing at all is registering. You're, you're, you're paralyzed. And I don't ask this question, what's your handicap this morning? I don't ask it to condemn you. I don't ask it to, to point the finger. I don't ask it to rub your nose in it. I don't ask to, to, to dredge it up so that we can all stand around finger pointing. That's not God's agenda this morning. God's agenda is to dredge it up. God's agenda is to put it on the table. And it's to put it on the table because he wants us to draw some hope and draw some inspiration and draw some encouragement from this man who waited by the pool for 38 years, still hanging on to hope that one day... And by the way, think about this. This is a paralyzed man hoping he was going to be the first one in the pool. And he couldn't move. Talk about someone who couldn't help themselves but yet had not given up hope. That's the motivation for sharing this and drilling down into this story this morning. Some of you are blind, some of you are crippled, or some of you are paralyzed. And we can take inspiration and learn something from this man. Because, and I put this on social media this week, too many Christians have eternal life, but not an abundant life. And Jesus promised both. He didn't promise a problem-free life. And like we taught two weeks ago, if you were here, Jesus doesn't promise a life that's storm-free, but one that's storm-proof. He promises eternal life and abundant life. And too often we settle for the eternal life. And because of disappointment, because of bad teaching in some cases, we've passed on the abundant life. So here's Jesus. He, find, he, he, he happens across this guy who'd been waiting there, paralyzed for 38 years. When Jesus saw him stretched out by the pool and knew how long he'd been there, he said to the paralyzed man, do you want to get well? Think about that. This, at face value, seems like the stupidest question that not just Jesus has ever asked, but anyone could ever ask. He, he's discovered that a paralyzed man who's been waiting for 38 years to get well, and Jesus knows that. And what does Jesus ask him? Jesus didn't say, hey, buddy, you must surely want to get well. Boy, what, what persistence. That's incredible. I'm surprised you've held out this long. Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? The answer, you might be... Well, duh, right? But it's amazing. Jesus has asked you the same question 
at some point in your life and you've given him an answer other than yes. I, uh, as some of you know, I get around on a Vespa and I love my little Vespa, but, uh, and it's pretty economical, you know, it costs me about eight bucks to fill and it lasts me two weeks. Yeah, not bad. Yeah, when, uh, when uh, it used to be seven bucks. When it got to eight bucks, I was, I was livid. But I've, I've, I've learned to cope now. So I fill it up. But it, it's, it's great. And, and we live near the pretty central, so I can get around most places. Perth's weather's pretty good. So I don't get wet often. But it's not good for transporting things. And this one particular day, a couple of years ago, I had to move some stuff. And so I went and borrowed, Louis was at work, uh, with our car, so I went and borrowed her parents' car. Now, Louis' parents at the time had a Ford Falcon, about a, about a 10-year-old Falcon, so it wasn't brand new, but it wasn't Model T, you know, it was, and, and, it, and it had some, some, uh, some high-tech uh, instruments like air conditioning. Now, my Vespa's got air conditioning, um, but this one, you had to you push a button to turn the air conditioning on. Maybe you, some of you guys have that in your car. And uh, I remember this particular afternoon, it was a Saturday afternoon, it was blazing hot, like 42 degrees, blazing hot on the outside. And you know when you first get into the car that's been sitting in the sun, oh, oh, it's just horrible. That thing can't work fast enough. So I get in the, I got it in the car and I, I take off to, to my destination to go and pick some stuff up and... I'm, I'm pushing the button for the air conditioning, and I've got the fan up, and, I, and, and I've got it on the cold setting, and I'm pushing just the, the, the AC button, push, push, and, and, and there's a little red light on that button, you know, and when the light comes on, you know that, that it's engaged, but this button, it, it, would, it, would, it would go on, but as soon as I took my finger off, it would just spit back out again, so, oh, so frustrating, anyway, it was, it was automatic car, so I was able to drive like this for, you know, the time, like, like flipping Fred Flintstone, but uh, anyway. And I get back to pit to Louis' folks' uh, house, and uh, you know, I go back in and ha- hand the keys over, and I said to them, do you realize that your air conditioning uh, button doesn't work? They're Italian. Oh, yeah, works are good. And I said, no, it doesn't work good. It, it's, it's an epic fail. You, you push it in, it doesn't stay in. Oh, yeah, stays in all right. I said, this is Louis' dad. Stays in all right. No, it doesn't stay in all right unless you have to drive with your flipping finger holding it in. No, no, no. Marco, you don't understand. Oh, here we go. Yeah, you don't understand. There's a tennis center piece, a tennis center piece in the console. And what do you do is you get at the tennis center piece and you put it at the tennis center piece, just a little, little gap along the side of the button, the button, and uh, if you push the button, any you push the tennis center piece, the air conditioner, she stays on it. So I say to Carl, my father-in-law, Carl, have you, have you, how long is it, how long, I, look, I know these people, but I ask anyway, how long, perchance, has this uh, 10 cent piece thing been, you know, how I didn't want to say that the air conditioner is broken because he doesn't think it is. Just, just how long has it required the assistance of a 10-cent piece? Oh, 
I don't know, maybe uh, three, four years. <laughs> three, four years. See, do you know that, say to him, again, I know, I don't even know why I bother. Carl, do you know that there are actually qualified people that if you, it, it will cost you a bit more than 10 cents, but if you pay them, they will fix that. Oh, no, no waste of the money, just to use the 10 cent a piece. <laughs> All right. And I'm telling you, I had to pick that story out of a very, very, very long list of stories. But we're very adaptable. Italians especially, but actually all of us are very adaptable. We've got our handicaps and, and many of us, we've learned to live with them. We've, we've, we've figured out workarounds. We've figured out not solutions, but f- temporary fixes that allow us to get by. But, but here's the thing. Jesus didn't die so that we could just get by. Jesus didn't die so we could survive. He died so that we could thrive. He rose again, overcame death, so we could not just cope, but we could conquer. And if we settle for anything less, I think it's a slap in the face for what he did for us. And so Jesus asked the the paralyzed man the same question he asks for every single one of us today. Do you want to get well? And whilst on the surface, the, the obvious answer is yes. Some of you Maybe sitting here this morning, and your answer is no. And your answer is no because you've given up. You've, you've asked him before, and he hasn't answered that prayer. You know what that prayer is. And, and, and you are so disappointed and so deflated and so out of hope. Your hope account is actually in overdraft that the the idea of you placing your trust in him again is abhorrent to you 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 don't want to be let down again and so he says do you want to get well and you say no i'm just going to carry on another group of you your answer is well it depends It depends, Jesus, does it require anything of me? And if it does, what exactly does it require? Because I want to know what it requires before I'll make a decision whether my answer is going to be yes or no. Is there a catch, us Aussies would say? Is there a catch? Jesus, I want financial breakthrough, but don't, don't, please don't ask me to spend less than I earn. Because how else am I going to keep this lifestyle up, masking my handicap, my insecurities, my need for approval? Jesus, I want financial breakthrough, but don't ask me to give. I earned this money. It's mine. Jesus, I want relational breakthrough. My, 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 my spouse and I, you know, we, we're having some tensions. But don't, don't ask me to change. I'm praying that, that you'll ask them to change. Jesus, I want a career breakthrough. I hate my job. I, I, I can't stand going to work every day. What, what, Jesus, what's that? You want me to, to be as faithful in a job I hate as I would be in a job I love, and it's out of that faithfulness that you'll promote me into a job I love? Uh, uh, no, thanks. No, I want to do the bare minimum, get out of there, clock in, clock out, and run like hell when it's quitting time. 
So you might say, when Jesus asks you, you want to get well, you might say it depends. And you'll make your ultimate decision, yes or no, based on any criteria that he puts in the way. Well, the sick man, when Jesus asked the question, said, Sir, when the water is stirred, I don't have anybody to put me in the pool. In other words, he's saying, yes, but, but there's no way it's going to happen. And notice what he called Jesus. Sir, he, had, he didn't have any idea who this guy was. By the time I get there, I actually laugh when I read the Bible sometimes. This is a paralyzed man telling Jesus, by the time I get to the edge of the pool, it's like, you know, the snail and the sloth beat me there. It's hilarious. By the time I get there, it was like probably weeks have gone by. You know, the angels circumnavigated the globe 17 more times before the paralyzed man summoned. I don't even know how he gets there, but anyway. Somebody else is already in. Shocker. What's interesting is the paralyzed man thought Jesus may possibly be about to answer his prayer by helping him into the water. Sir, you know, you've got two feet and a heartbeat. How about you hang around and when the angel causes the ripples, you can help me into the water. He he thought that's, that's maybe what this man, sir, could offer him. He underestimated Jesus. I remember uh, about 10 years ago, uh, my boss at the time, Phil Baker, and I, we, we were uh, in Indonesia in uh, the island of Java, the city of Surabaya. Surabaya is the second largest city in the whole of Indonesia. It's on the east coast of Java. You've got Jakarta, the capital, on the west coast. And we were there uh, doing some speaking, Phil and myself, and connected with a large, large church there, a church of about 100,000 people uh, called Bethany. And, uh, and on this particular uh, weekend... Um, you know, we were going to be speaking through uh, translators, live translation. And uh, if you can, uh, if you've ever uh, been in that situation, if you can get together with your translator beforehand and sort of just walk through your content, it just, it, it helps so much because you may be going to talk about a concept or use some words or tell a story that, that won't resonate. So, you know, even they, they might understand English and, be, and, 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 and their own language and be able to translate the words. It's really helpful if you can get a little bit of an advanced screening with them to, to go through things. So Phil and I had arranged uh, on the Saturday before speaking on the Sunday, on the Saturday, to have the translator come in and meet us at the hotel lobby where we were staying and and, and respectively walk through our messages. Phil was going to talk with his translator and I was going to talk with mine and just get things ready for the next day, have some questions answered. And, uh, and Phil's uh, guy walked into the lobby and came over and introduced himself. And he said, uh, good afternoon, Philip Baker. Uh, my name is Anton. I will be your interrupter tomorrow. Now, but then somebody who's going to be your interpreter introduces themselves as your interrupter, uh, you know that the following day is possibly not going to go as well as you'd hope. So I'm sniggering away because my interrupter called himself my interpreter. And I'm like, got one up on you there, Phil. My guy actually speaks real English. But uh, anyways, so 
Now, I didn't have to speak the next morning. I think I was speaking my first engagement. Uh, this, this church has meetings and locations all around the, uh, the, the city. Uh, I wasn't speaking until later in the morning. They have a, a, a 25,000-seat wooden dome auditorium. It's the largest wooden dome, uh, I think, on the, on the planet. And it's just phenomenal. And uh, they, they have their first, what they call service, they have their first service Sunday morning, 6 a.m., and on Sunday morning, 6 a.m., there were 7,000 adults there before 6 a.m., because they honor God by being there on time. They're ready to go. And uh, this is a classic. It's a, the church. It's one of the, the churches where the, 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 the pastors and the elders sit on the seats at the front and look out over the people. So as the guests, uh, we were sitting on this. It's, it's horrible. Uh, I'm sure for everybody too, by the way. It's horrible. And, uh, and uh, so I'm sitting up on, on one of these uh, big thrones up on the, up on the, you picture this, Neil, up on the, up on the, the stage there. And you had to wear a suit and tie and all this sort of thing. And, uh, you know, 6 a.m., a bit of music and uh, a bit of, it was great. Um, and then Phil gets up to speak. And uh, Phil's got his uh, interrupter next to him, translating for him. And uh, Phil's sharing a story, and, 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 the, and the gist of Phil's message was, was, was to ask the question, how big is your God? That was the gist of his message, because, because our concept of who God is and what he can do will very much determine what we present ourselves to him for and, and, and the size of our faith. So, that, so Phil's asking the question, how big is your God? It's kind of the question. You know, in English, how big is your God? The translator, blah, 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 Tidimakasi, blah, blah, blah. You know, how big is your God? And, and Phil's, Phil's drawing a metaphor, thinking, you know, a metaphor, that's going to be the best way to, you know. And, and, and it's a massive, massive auditorium. I mean, 25,000 seat, big dome, massive thing. And Phil's, Phil's explaining, he's explaining uh, about uh, the largest mammal on the planet is a blue whale. And he said, blue whale. It's just ginormous. He wouldn't have said ginormous, but, you know, just, it's huge. And, 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 and to illustrate the point, Phil's talking about this blue whale. And it's goes, in, fact, in fact, if that blue whale, if, the, if we brought it into this auditorium, it would span from all the way to, from that side of the auditorium. You know, 25,000-seat auditorium, massive, bigger than the Perth Arena, etc. This blue whale would span from all the way from that side of the auditorium to all the way to that side of the auditorium. And, and I'm looking out at these 7,000 people, and their faces are just like, and I'm thinking, yeah, Phil's really getting through. They're getting this. You know, God's big. Because you know, Phil's going, this, this whale, if you think that whale's big, man, that whale's puny compared to God. God is bigger than a blue whale, you know. And, and these people are like, like absolutely, absolutely struck with awe. Like, God must be big you know because that sounds like a big whale and we've never seen one but if it's going to be that big in this building boy god must be big and uh, you know phil's feeling like yeah that that story worked that metaphor worked and so after phil finished preaching we went back into the pastor's office and had a little bit of coffee and so on and the interrupter was there and uh, the pastor of the church named a guy named alex abrahams who speaks english as well as perfectly as well as bahasa um he starts he starts uh slapping into this interrupter like just you know and in, in bahasa we didn't know that with, with what he was saying but alex turns to us and says and says to phil phil i'm very very sorry i'm very very embarrassed um 
this, this uh, man here, this interrupter, he, uh, he confused the word whale uh, for the word bird. And uh, people are trying to get their heads around how come they've never seen this bird that can stretch from all the way up to... <laughs> so, yeah, he didn't quite get the point across as clearly as he'd wanted. But this question of how big our God is, you know, I struck this about 10 years ago. There's a book by J.B. Phillips uh, called Your God is Too Small. It's about 180 pages, a tiny, tiny book. You can pick up a secondhand copy for 53 cents on Amazon. I looked this week. I read this about 10 years ago. And this is J.B. Phillips, who, who also translated the Bible, an English theologian, several decades ago. It is a great book to read. It's a great question to ask because the, the, the answer to that question determines whether you're going to underestimate God or whether you're going to right-size your prayers to him. Because unfortunately, over time, we crop God to fit our screen size when God wants us to zoom out, expand our screen size to fit him. We, we crop him because of circumstances have, have said that God can't do certain things. We, we crop him because we've, we've discovered disappointments and experienced hurts in our lives that, that, that we thought God should have protected us from, should have saved us from, should have rescued us out of. And some of us are still in those circumstances today. And we've fitted God and, and, and cropped him down to, to our experience and our perspective. Guys, this is all about us resizing our perspective of God, resizing it to understand God is bigger than a blue whale, bigger than a big bird, Bigger than your circumstances, bigger than our understanding. And in fact, like the story, even the story with the little boy who gave his lunchbox over, he's not only bigger than you think he is, he's bigger than anything you could ever think he is. Paul wrote this reminder to the church in Ephesus, one of my life verses. God is able to do immeasurably more than anything you can even ask for or imagine. God is able to do, able to do, able to do more than anything, anything, anything you can even ask for or imagine. Immeasurably more than anything you can even ask for or imagine. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. Tattoo it somewhere. Your God is able to do immeasurably more than anything you can even ask for or imagine. Jesus said, this man, sir, had, that had just been underestimated by the paralyzed man. Jesus said to the paralyzed man, get up, take your bedroll, start walking. Now again, push pause. Even that sounds dumb. He's paralyzed. He's been by the pool for 38 years. Some stranger comes along and the best advice this stranger had to offer him is to get up and start walking. As if the paralyzed man had never thought of that before. Well, buddy, you know, if I could, I would and I wouldn't still be here after 38 years. But to his credit, no questions asked, unconditionally, he did exactly what Jesus asked him to do. His answer was yes, 
and he demonstrated his answer with action, not just words. Sometimes you have to step out in order to find out. The man was healed on the spot. He picked up his bedroll and walked off. I'm praying for breakthrough for you guys during this month. And for some of you that are blind, I'm praying this month that God would open your eyes. For some of you that are crippled because of hurts and disappointments, things that have happened in your past, I'm praying that that God would turn your eyes around to your future. We put on social media a little quote from Wayne Cordero this week, let your past be a tutor, not a torturer. Some of you are paralyzed. You, Jesus says, get up off your mat. You, you, you don't think you've got it in you to get up off the mat. You've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed. And you've actually determined whether you know it or not, that you're not going to try again. That man didn't actually get up off the mat and walk in his own strength. He got up off the mat and walked in the strength that Jesus had just imparted into him, that Jesus had just spoken into him. When, when Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water, he didn't walk on water. He walked on the words of Jesus. What's Jesus asking you to do that's going to require faith? Unquestioned faith. Your God is able to do immeasurably more than you can even ask for or imagine. Those of you that have got a miracle that you've got on your list, you might have just put it on in this last couple of weeks or you may be sitting on it for 38 years. I want to pray for you right now. I'll tell you what I'm going to pray for. I'm not going to pray that God's going to answer your your prayer because I think he will. But I'm going to pray for your courage. I'm going to pray for your obedience. I'm going to pray for your faith to rise. So if you want to be in on that prayer because you've got a miracle, you need God to do something, just put your hand up and I'll see it. Fantastic. Great. 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 I didn't know what the, what the miracle is, but that's it. you're not praying to me. <laughs> and you're not relying on me, which is great. And, and, and actually, you're not relying on you, though you probably have a part to play some level of obedience and faith in the mix. Lord, I thank you that you are able. I thank you that you are able to do immeasurably more than we can even ask for or imagine. We first seek you, not like a vending machine, God. We first seek you and seek your presence. Seek your Presence in our life in a more intimate, real way than ever before. And Lord, out of that intimacy, out of that connectedness, out of that closeness to you, we ask you to perform miracles. And Lord, as I said, my my greater prayer is that those of us that are seeking your presence and asking and, and pursuing you and, and for a miracle. I pray for, for courage to grow, knowing it can grow. I 
pray for faith to grow, knowing it can grow. I pray for obedience to grow, knowing it can grow. Lord, I pray for us to more clearly than ever hear your voice so that we know what it is you're asking us to do. What's the trigger that you want us to pull? What are the things that's going to get us into position to, 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 hear, to, 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 to get that miracle, Lord? To see that breakthrough, to go to that new level, to see our future bright. And to experience that and to walk into our future, to walk into our destiny. We pray that all in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hey guys, one more thing really quickly. And I have gone over time and, and uh, those of you that weren't here last week, you're going to wish you were because we finished at 1028. <laughs> that was a miracle some of you were praying for. <laughs> Your prayer got answered. You weren't here. Um, look, the mo- but look, the most important thing we do every Sunday during our live experience is give you an opportunity to connect your life to God. Those of you that have never actually done that, you've never actually asked God to to be in relationship with Him, we want to give you that opportunity before we get on to anything else, before we leave this place. So right now, some of you, you've never actually made the decision to say, God, I want to have a relationship with you. And we sung earlier, love came down and rescued me. God sent his son Jesus so we could have a relationship with him. Some of you have never taken a hold of that relationship. This day is your day to make that your decision, to make that your miracle. So really, right now, for those of you that have never made that decision, I just want you to put your hand up. You say, yeah, that's actually me. God, I want to be in that relationship with you. I want to start that relationship with you. When I see your hand, I'll ask you to put it down. And then we're going to pray for you. Just all together, we're going to pray. For those of you this morning, you're here, you know that's your prayer, that's your miracle. You need to have a relationship with God. You don't have that. You can start that today. If you want to start that today, just put your hand up. When I see your hand, you can put it down. And then we're going to pray. Just really quickly, looking around. I don't want to miss anybody. Okay, guys, I've been saying this for the last two weeks. I'm going to say it again today. This is the number one miracle that I'm praying for. For us as a church, that we're not just keepers of the aquarium, that we're fishers of men. That we're seeing new people here, getting closer to Jesus and eventually stepping over that line, making him their Lord. So put that on your list. You know, I asked one of our team members this morning, and I wasn't trying to uh, break his Pelinis, uh, but uh, don't worry about that. But, um, but I asked him, have you got something on your list of miracles? And, you know, they just said, well, I don't think I do. Look, if you've got nothing on your list, put that on your list. That's someone in your world, family, neighbor, friend, colleague, that doesn't yet have a relationship with God through Jesus, that you would be used and we would be used to see them cross that line of faith. How about that? Next week, we're talking about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. And some of you have got dreams in your heart and you think that they're dead and buried. Nothing's dead and buried with Jesus, not even Jesus. So be here, 929, ready to worship our king and uh, press into his presence. Hey? Now, the coffee this week, I'm happy to say, is Cuban Serrano. Cuban, oh, I think Cuban Serrano is actually my all-time favorite. No, 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 really, really. Oh, I know, I say that to all the coffees. Oh, oh no, I'm such, a, I'm such a coffee hussy. Look, honestly, seriously. 
it's actually not legal to import Cuban coffee. So uh, that's not true. Enjoy. Talk to someone you don't know.